Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hello there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios. This is the show where we get to talk about the complicated world of healthcare and health IT, and all of our guests get to bring a piece of the puzzle and how big the puzzle keeps getting bigger. Started at 300 piece, 3,000 piece, 30,000 piece. Healthcare is complicated. Anyway, very excited for today's guest, Dr. Gita Nair. Welcome back to the show. You actually came on the show. I was looking it up. Your episode number 60, which happened right kind of at the start of the COVID pandemic. And you were sort of a guiding light for me at that time. But for our audience, can you please take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm very proud to be back. And congratulations to you on the podcast growing and all of your success. I am now a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Dead Wrong, which I'm super excited to talk to you about today, but just really thrilled to be at a time in history where I think people like us have an opportunity to really make an impact on healthcare and make a difference. So I'm I'm thrilled that your program is is called Hit Like a Girl, by the way, because I play tennis and we always talk about hitting. And so it's just perfect. It's like so apropos. And I just, uh, I use it with my daughter. I'm like, how can I be on this Hit Like a Girl podcast? And she was like, ooh, I like the names. lovely. Yes, I love reclaiming it. I love the whole like like a girl concept to really mean strength and power and empowering one another and how can we support, you know, just better communities and societies at large. And I'm really grateful that you're part of it. So thank you for being here. And I remember when I talked to you the first time, your daughter, it was over Zoom and your daughter was there. And I love that you've been able to sort of like bring her and be a really great role model for her with everything that you're doing. It's kind of incredible. Tell us about your book. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. I hope, you know, you never know as a parent what what you're doing, but the book was really, it's been an amazing journey. It really started during COVID. I I have to tell you, I I know we all want to forget COVID. It is not a COVID book. It is a post-pandemic kind of reflection of myths and disinformation in healthcare in the era of AI and digital tech and everything you know and your audience knows, but very much inspired by COVID-19 because we were all home. We were all living through this global sort of tragedy. And it really caused me to reflect on when I first entered medicine. And I was a resident, a doctor in training at George Washington University at the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic. And there were so many parallels for me because at that time, I was really surrounded by 
preventable deaths. I mean, every other patient I had was dying and there was literally nothing I could do about it. And half of the problem was they were just mis and disinformed. And so when COVID happened, I thought, oh my gosh, like this can't possibly be happening again. Like history is repeating itself. And at the time they told us this was a once in a lifetime thing. It was, you know, just like we heard about COVID. And so I just, I feel like as someone who has been the chief medical officer of Salesforce, AT&T, worked at these big companies that have these huge opportunities in health tech, the undercurrent of everything we do in healthcare is this idea that people are thirsty for knowledge and are looking for the right source and for someone to help with their personal individual problem. And so it's really meant to be a call to action to the industry to say, no matter what you touch in healthcare, health IT, you have to solve this problem and you have to understand that this undercurrent is happening in healthcare. Otherwise it will come back to bite you. And I, you know, I always say at the end of the mis and disinformation train is a doctor meeting you in the emergency room. So there's no getting around it. A lot of it, it's, it's so karmic. It's really a lot of karma at the end of the day if we're not doing this as an industry. Well, one of the things that I think about is trust and empathy. And so from the healthcare perspective and the healthcare worker perspective and folks trying to get wisdom and knowledge out to the right people, how can we continue to build trust so that they believe what it is we're telling them. Like, how can, like, that feels kind of great. Like, I'm taking crazy pills to say that, but it's, but it's true. Like, how do we do that? We first have to acknowledge it, right? And, and, and definitely walk through this in, in one of the chapters in the book, pretty at, at nauseum. And look, the reality is no one trusts their payer, their pharma company, their med tech company, but actually 57% of Americans still trust their doctors. 57%. That's a relatively big number, but there's still a huge gap there. And you have to look back at the history of medicine to understand why that is. Whether it's Tuskegee, whether it's Henrietta Lacks, there are really good reasons for why people don't trust healthcare. And we need to claim that trust back by number one, acknowledging that all of these things have happened and going forward, being more mindful and being more thoughtful. Because, you know, the problem with medicine today is really that we need to be much more relatable and reachable. The fact that we were able to make a global innovation of a life-saving vaccine in nine months flat, and then we couldn't get anyone to take it, right? It's 2024. I live in Florida. We still can't get people to take this vaccine. Why is that? It's because of trust. And we completely missed the forest for the trees. And we didn't put just as much effort in the innovation around marketing, education, communication, how we were building our tech strategies at hospital systems, how payers and pharma companies, med tech companies could help protect their KOLs and help them actually get the message out. But in this very relatable, reachable way that inspires, because that's what moves people. It's that inspiration. I think one of the things that I just keep hearing from the public and I guess in relation to the vaccine is not wanting to feel like a guinea pig. To your point that it happened with it, it was created within nine months. And then in terms of like Henrietta Lacks, right? And just like, how do how does an individual not feel like they are a guinea pig for the healthcare, even though it's gone through obviously trials and the labs and they're doing it, but like in this point in time when things are have this timeliness to them. It can be scary for a lot of people. I was the one who was running to get the vaccine, but I have a sister who still hasn't. And there's no talking to her. There's there's nothing that I can say that I think will like would make her change her mind. 
and I don't know what to do about that. Do you have an answer? Yes, a lot of this is covered in the book, but really, number one, to be honest with you, science needs a PR campaign, right? Because the disinformation machine, and I say disinformation, so disinformation is when there is a thoughtful manipulator of the masses, whether for political agenda, financial agenda, some agenda. And the reality is they have made this a mission in a way that healthcare hasn't. For everyone that has a doctor and understands science, there are about 50 other people who are following someone on TikTok or someone on Instagram that is selling a $500 vitamin that will save you from aging, right? There is a scam out there for everyone is, is my point. And vaccines aside, this is not limited to COVID. This is not limited to vaccines. This is happening every day. And it has been around the world since the beginning of time. And so it's really meant to say, look, how do we take that back? How do we use social media for good? How do we use artificial intelligence for good? How do we give science that same voice and that same microphone that so many of the misfits out there have done beautifully and with algorithms and with knowledge and with the same technology? We now need to fight back and say, look, this is a real problem. And if I'm in charge of patient acquisition at a hospital, patient retention, if I'm running value-based care at a payer, this is actually the issue because guess what? No one gets a mammogram. If they don't know what a mammogram is, they get breast cancer. So, and no one wakes up, your sister or otherwise, we all have friends and family. No one wakes up wanting to be the fool. These are genuinely people who have been victimized, targeted for really good profits or for votes or for whatever the agenda of the day might be. And largely that's because healthcare is missing, right? Imagine if every doctor out there had a microphone. Imagine if every doctor out there was enabled by social media and could actually work with a marketing team and do what they do every day, which is what doctors need to do. But, you know, one of the use cases I talk about in the book is the Cleveland Clinic. Cleveland Clinic did this so beautifully. Paul Matson put together a beautiful campaign for the Cleveland Clinic. And that was his actual number one thing. He said, I'm not going to try and change my doctors into marketers or social media influencers. I'm going to put them on camera. I'm going to give them the talk points. I'm going to partner with YouTube. I'm going to do all of the marketing. I'm going to do all the strategy. I'm just going to let my doctors, though, be themselves and shine. And he was really able to drive revenue, brand loyalty, scale information, and develop an outstanding brand that exists today, right? By meeting patients where they're at. And if you can do that first, there's no space for the misfits. There's no space for the person selling that $500 vitamin because your patients trust you, right? And so I think that's really the opportunity we have. And it's not happening at scale in healthcare. It's happening in pockets, like at the Cleveland Clinic. As an individual, how would we know the difference between misinformation and disinformation? Well, it's complicated. So misinformation is actually just wrong information for whatever reason. And, and we may have seen a lot of that in, at the beginning of, of COVID where it was wear a mask, don't wear a mask. The information was not clear, but that's part of education because the other thing we as a society have hopefully learned is evidence-based medicine takes time. This was a new disease. It was a completely new public health issue. And we saw science play out. We saw the sausage making. And like any sausage making, it was not pretty. And so understanding that their misinformation is essentially just the wrong, wrong facts, wrong information. Disinformation is actually the manipulation of information with the attempt to sell something or get something in exchange, something with a malicious agenda. So, and we saw both and we continue to see both as we think about the political election coming up as well. Yeah, that's one of the things that scares me, to be honest. <laughs> There's been a lot going on in the world and even just knowing that you we see things multiple sides of like, how do we know who to believe? And it's like, there's 
there's a lot out there, especially with the world being the way that it is right now. I imagine that we're going to just be having more, having more of both myth and disinformation. And so as an individual being able to decipher what to believe, you know, both politically and medically and in so many other ways, like it's kind of crucial at the moment. It's not really a question. That's just, that's just a statement. I couldn't agree more. And look, I have patients come in all the time with a list of questions or a list of things they've read or people they follow. And this is part of the discussion. And believe me, we perfected this during COVID with all of the different truths out there. And I actually talk to patients about this, address their individual concerns and also say, hey, here's who I follow. This is who I recommend. These are the websites. These are the people on social media. Ideally, if at the enterprise level, there's also a place to send them to say, hey, here's where we post the latest on lupus, the latest on rheumatoid arthritis. I'm a rheumatologist, right? That's really critical. And to me, this is this is an apolitical issue. For some reason, science has become politicized in this era that we're living in. But people are people. The human body is the human body. That's the beauty of science. So as much as we can remove the politics, it only serves the whole community at large. So I'm sitting here with your book, in front of me. And I loved reading it, like finishing it last night and thinking about, well, when all the call out. And so it felt really like all of this, the talk around meaningful use and the high tech act and value-based care and the ability for an industry to do a lot in a short amount of time. I felt like there was something to be spoken for action, right? And like, and to not be feeling like there's nothing that we can do. Like there is something that we can do and we've done it in the past. But when it comes to attacking or opposing mis and disinformation, how can we know what it is that we can, what we have in our resources, like in our tanks that as an individual, maybe as an organization or on a larger scale that we can do something about it? I don't know. Give us hope. Give us some. <laughs> yeah, you bet. There's lots of hope. First of all, I'm so touched. You you read the book, and you, and I'm so glad you you got the book. Thank you for that joy. Look, if you are anyone in healthcare, if you're a healthcare leader, which I believe is like your entire audience, joy, right? This is the question to ask when you are in the boardroom, the meeting room, right? What are we doing about the mis and disinformation train? So number one, ask the question. Number two, everything leads back to it. So whether you're in charge of patient acquisition, patient engagement, patient retention, brand loyalty, EHR adoption, physician burnout, right? So much of physician burnout is this. When you walk into the examining room and the patient says, hey, I don't, don't trust you. And how much do you make every time I get this shot or that shot, right? So this is all connected. So number one, if you are in a healthcare leader, you need to address this issue and find its way back to whatever the issue is in charge. Because I know that no one out there has a mis or disinformation guru or strategy, but they certainly have a patient engagement strategy and a physician retention and acquisition strategy. It's all connected is, is my point. If you're an individual, you need to get smart. We're living in a consumer savvy world, just like on Amazon. You, healthcare makes it harder. But looking at the source, is it validated? Is it validated by the industry? Asking questions, getting a doctor before you're sick is actually one of the best things you can do. A doctor who actually knows you, a pediatrician, an OB-GYN, whatever your health issue might be. And really asking those questions of what, what should I be reading, right? What should I not be reading? And also inviting your doctor to be a part, part of the conversation and saying, what are you guys doing about this? Because I don't know where to go for this information. But there's like 10 people selling me anything I want, right? From a vitamin to an IV, 
Right. And so I think that's really important. And also your role in it. So sometimes we pass on information, whether it's to our friends, our family, our WhatsApp groups. If you don't know if it's factual or real, don't pass it on. Don't be the force multiplier. Right. And if you do find the right stuff, you know, be encouraged to, to share that. But I, I think having the conversation both in your professional life and personal life is more than warranted for, for the era that we're living in. And if you feel that much inspiration, I, you know, I think starting groups, starting groups on Facebook, using social media for good. There are amazing followings. There are amazing positions on TikTok. They've got great dance moves. They've got great music and they inspire. And I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We need more of that because the enemy's out there and they've got some pretty killer dance moves and music too. It's hilarious. I definitely do believe that there, I mean, the amount of people who get their information from TikTok is somewhat staggering. So we definitely need to meet people there. And 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 that might even be one of the places that's more difficult to understand who to trust and who not to trust. But like, I think that doctors and healthcare organizations and like, we need to be showing up for patients there because we always talk about meeting people where they are, but that's where they are. And I noticed that in healthcare, we're scared to be there. It's a scary platform. It's not the same as just like, oh, here, read this article or here's a pretty picture. It's like, oh, you're looking at me. And <laughs> that component can get really scary for folks. That's right. And I think we have to get over that, right? Because I think in medicine, we're so, we want to be academic, we're research oriented. And all of that is wonderful and terrific. And it's what helped us create this mRNA vaccine. But if we don't operate in reality, then no one takes that vaccine because healthcare is happening in our communities. It's not happening in academia. It's not happening in the lab. It's happening in the real world. And this is where people are going because if you try to get a doctor's appointment right now, depending where you are in the country, can take you three to six months to get a primary care appointment. The average person does not have a primary care doctor at all. So in the absence, right, in the absence of healthcare, in the absence of leadership, other people are filling the gap, right? Myths and disinformation grow in the dark. We talk about it in the book. And so we've got to take a stand and we've got to recognize if we're not there, someone else is. I'd like to ask you something on the more personal side, if you don't mind, because I don't think that there's that many women authors. There's that I get to speak to on a regular basis because it's very two different things. One is all the effort that it takes to actually write a book. And it's a whole different thing to sell a book. And so I am curious how the experience is for you going from putting all your expertise down on paper, making sure that it gets out to the world, and then also transitioning to speaking about that in all of the different places that you have to do that. Can you share what that experience has been like? Well, I'll tell you, it's really easy for anyone out there that wants to write a best-selling book. All it takes is time and money. So if you've got both, you're in a good spot, but it's, it is a significant lift. You know, this is a project I started with Map Change, Jack Murtha and Tom Castles. And I actually think it's the perfect example of what healthcare should be because as a physician, I have the stories, I have the expertise, I have all of the experience that comes with everything you'll find in the book. But being able to collaborate with journalists and researchers, that's what Map Change really brought to the table. And it was the perfect collaboration because we were able to tell the story of science in this really reachable and relatable way. And I hope you find that in the book. But it was significant. It was a significant learning process. I will tell you, if you read the acknowledgments, there is just an army of people that help support me in this project. And it truly was a pipe dream. I mean, I'm still sort of a little giddy and kind of pinching myself to now to now be a Wall Street Journal bestseller is something I'm incredibly proud of, but never thought would ever happen. So it's humbling. It's exciting. 
I think I might write another book. I'm toying with a few ideas, but it took digging pretty deep and being really sure that you want to tell the story. It also took being a little raw and vulnerable. Now that the book is out there, I do. I feel a little bit like scared of what people will think because I do share a lot about my personal journey as a physician and my family. And it is scary. It it is scary. But I I feel really strongly that if you're going to write something and take the time and spend the effort, that it needed to be authentic and it needed to be real and it needed to say what no one else was saying. And I think that's perhaps the most important part of this book is it's meant to really be a call to action for the industry. But it's also meant to inspire people to say, look, we lived through a really devastating time in history. And so what are we going to do about it? Right. Like, what are we going to do about it now? That's really what I wanted to convey to folks is what are you doing now after you live through that? You know, I'm really curious about how your daughter has handled it. And also like what is how she was in school. I'm sure during all during the pandemic, she's also witnessed you kind of be a powerhouse in the industry and now a best-selling author. Like, does it change or has it changed her perspective on who she is in the world and what she wants to do or any of her dreams for the future? Sure. Well, I appreciate the question. You should have her on sometime to ask her herself. But I will tell you, especially someone who has the podcast that you do with the cool name, Hit Like a Girl, which we all love in my house. You know, I really thoughtfully thought about how to make this a family project. And it wasn't exactly easy because this is essentially a healthcare business book. And I have a medical student. I work with medical students at University of Miami where I practice, but I have one very special medical student who actually happens to be an art major as well as pre-med and is now in medical school. So I approached her and Sonia to say, I have this idea. I want to include you guys in this book. It's very complex. You know, it's all like healthcare, business, administration, et cetera, and tech. And I said, what if you guys did the graphics? What if you were to do the artwork for the book and then you will both be published authors? And you'll see sort of the power of, you know, of, of, of this book and a project together and all, you know, with, 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 I say that to say, I believe in female sponsorship. There's one thing to mentor someone. There's one thing to be a friend or a colleague, but sponsorship is when you go out of your way, right? You go out of your way to help and support another person. And when they're not in the room, consciously planting their success. And that's how I feel about both Sanaa and Sonia in the book. They are extraordinarily proud of the book. I donated books to the first year medical school, school class because Sna is in that class. They've invited us to come and talk about the book. I did the same for Sonia at her middle school and high school. And the teachers couldn't be more proud. But it was really interesting to describe each chapter to them because these are complex topics they wouldn't otherwise you know, be able to get their head on. And both of them, when I would describe chapter one, chapter two, et cetera, they were both like, well, that's really stupid. And how come things don't connect? And why would you know? Why would you do that? <laughs> so it, was, it was really funny to see more of their reaction to the content and then coming up with the visual. But yes, we're super thrilled, and I want to continue to bring them with me on the on the journey. So I'm I'm very cognizant of that. That's great. Don't I can't help because I just keep thinking about Beyonce and her daughter. Have you follow? Are you a fan of Beyonce? I am a fan of Beyonce, but I don't. I'm not sure where this is going because <laughs> the reason why I'm bringing it up, her daughter is 11 years old and she basically went on tour with her and she was like a backup dancer and she, and you can basically see, you know, her, like her growth from the first tour to like the 58th or something. And as an 11 year old, I just, I was just like, so have so much respect for what 
her mom, who what didn't she have an opportunity to share with her and bring her along for the ride, has been able to do. And it's like the kind of thing that on one side of my ear, you're like, oh, nepotism, like not everybody can do that. But on the other side, it's just like, well, what do you have that you can offer to your kids that is unique and setting them up for success? And anyway, I'm comparing you to Beyonce is what I'm doing. (laughs) I love that comparison. I I wish I was anywhere close to that. I love that though. I really love that. And I will also tell you when you read the acknowledgement, there are so many moms that have supported our family that have, you know, when I'm out of town and run over for playdates and sleepovers and, and vice versa. And so I was very thoughtful in also those acknowledgements. Many of the people acknowledged in the book are actually moms from Sonia's circle that just cover for me when I'm out of town or go out of their way. I mean, I've been in the Middle East for 10 days. I had scheduled all kinds of activities for Sonia with those moms. So I do believe in the village. And I do think she's very proud of that, that we also included her community and her world, which is not necessarily a healthcare world, but just the world that we we operate in. And I, and I still believe healthcare touches everything in life, right? You don't have to be in a hospital to know that or, or a doctor or healthcare leader. So it, it has been really exciting. And I hope it's something as she gets older, she looks back on and says, man, that was cool. So we're, we're still feeling it. We're still feeling our way through it, but it has really been, been, been awesome. I wanted to say congratulations on everything, on everything that you've accomplished and especially like turning something scary into wisdom and insight that others can learn from. So I, like, I'm curious about what's next for you. Do you have an idea of, uh, you said, potentially a new book? Or where can people, like other than the book, follow you, get in touch? Thanks, Joy. I think I'm very easy to find, whether it's you know Instagram, LinkedIn, my website, drgeethanayer.com. You can order books. You can schedule a talk anywhere. I just, you know, I feel my role here is to really get the message out, incite discussion, inspiration, but hopefully action ultimately. And and yes, I think I'm I'm thinking pretty seriously about the next book and figuring out, you know, what my inspiration will be and what I want to do next. But I think there are, I think there are many stories in healthcare that haven't been told or haven't been told well, right? Because ultimately healthcare is sometimes just difficult to translate. And I feel really encouraged with the Wall Street Journal, the USA Today bestseller list. I feel like we've hit that spot where we were able to tell the story. And I and I do, I feel like there are so many incredible stories in healthcare. And if you are someone who cares about health or has an opportunity to make healthcare better for others, this is the time, if not in a post-pandemic world, then when? Great point. Well, I am proud of you. I'm proud to know you and proud to share you with our listeners and amplify all of your work. So thank you for your time today and uh, excited to see where you go next. Thank you so much, Joy. Likewise, I really appreciate you. I love the podcast. Please keep doing what you're doing and I'm always a resource anytime I can be. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you, and I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast, or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.